welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Today, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about soil sampling and pulling your own soil samples. But if you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, we'd love to take your phone call. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't think there's ever been a time in history when it's been more important to pull soil samples. And here's why I say that. Because fertilizer is at an all-time high price. Plus, we have really good commodity prices. So you can look at it one of two ways. You can either say, wow, that fertilizer is expensive. I've got a lot of risk here. I better know what the heck I'm doing before I go spending a bunch of money that actually could hurt me rather than help me. Or you can look at the other side and say, you know what? I got the chance to hit the home run this year and make as much money as I've ever made in my farming career. But if I don't do things right, I'm not going to hit my targets. So I don't care how you want to look at it, but I'm just saying if you don't know what's in that soil, it's really, really hard to maximize yield and profitability. Soil sampling hasn't gone, or I should say soil testing and what it costs to run a soil test, it really hasn't gone up. Like, look at everything else in the world. It just feels like it's sky high now, doesn't it? I don't care what you're talking about. It seems like almost everybody's expenses have gone way up. But to run a soil test basically costs about the same as it did three years ago. So I I, I don't think that you're going to look at it and say, oh man, it's way too expensive. Yeah, it costs a little bit of money, but the knowledge that you gain is just so valuable. And here's another reason that I think soil testing is more important than ever now. Because we, and by we I mean us as farmers, we have the ability to manage down to the acre level better than ever before. So I don't care if we're talking your spreader, your sprayer, your planter, whatever it is, you can manage down to the acre level. So the more soil tests you run, the more grids or zones or whatever it is you have in the field, the more you can kind of look at it as, oh, yeah, I might have a 160-acre field here, but in effect, I've got 160 little fields within that. And if you manage it as 160 little fields within that, you can really fine-tune this thing and try to get each one of those little grids or zones to be more productive, spend your money more wisely in those areas. I'm I'm just saying, I, I think if you're not looking at it that way, I'd encourage you to just step back a little bit, give it some thought, and when you do... I assume you're going to come to the same conclusion that I did that, look, if I can manage more areas out in my field and I can do it effectively, cost efficiently, easily, simply, if I can do that, I got a lot better chance to make money. I think about on our own farm and all the areas we've had over the years that I'll be honest, they stunk. They, they just they weren't very good for yield. And then I also think about how much money we've wasted there on seed or fertilizer or whatever. Well, now we have some areas that we're cutting way back on seeding rate, 
on fertility, on all the things that we do so we don't invest so many dollars there because the potential is only so high when you have junk ground. Like for us, we've got some sandy ground that we can't irrigate. And it's in the middle of some of our heavy fields. <laughs> so that makes it real challenging. Now, I will say uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to work on some spot irrigation things in the future. There's some technology coming there that I'm very interested in that we're going to be demoing next year. So we might have the chance to make some of those areas better in terms of rainfall. But until we get to that point, we just have to assume, hey, we're in a dry area. We know that we're not going to get the rain in that sand. We've got to cut back there. But then the other side of this thing is how we balance nutrients in the soil. Because we have areas on our farm, and you probably do on yours as well, where there's lots of, I'll just throw out phosphorus, for example, but we don't have zinc or copper in ratio. And when we have when we have situations like that, our yield goes down. And I'm not saying it's half or anything else, but our yield goes down. And all it takes is just a few dollars worth of zinc or copper in those areas. Well, if we knew where those areas were, and if we had some kind of equipment that could put the zinc and copper there, we're a lot better off. Well, guess what? We have all those things now. So anyway, we're going to talk throughout the show about pulling your own soil tests, but right now let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, first one comes from Joaquin. He says, I'm doing some research on how different elements can have an impact on plant growth, and I was wondering if you guys could could, uh, let me know what would be considered a high amount of calcium per square meter for radishes and why? What levels of calcium do you like to see in the soil? Okay, I'm going to apologize up front because I don't know the metric system as well as I should. So per square meter, I, I, I can't tell you. But let's we can talk about it on a per acre basis. Well, and it's, go from it's there. tough because pounds, parts per million, just it varies so much. Now, if you have very yes. light sand, you aren't going to need near as much as you're going to need if you get very heavy That's clay. True. Okay, so let's forget about the parts per million or pounds per acre for the moment. Let's just focus on the base saturation test in your soil. And what that is, it's showing the level of calcium versus four other nutrients. The other nutrients would include magnesium, sodium, hydrogen, and potassium. And the point here is we want to see that amount of calcium somewhere in the 65 to 75% range, maybe up to 80%, something like that. That's about ideal. Okay, so when we talk sandy ground, then, well, I, I guess I don't care what kind of soil you have, what, what your soil type is, but you, you want to have that ratio in general that for the most part means you have pretty good soil porosity, you have uh, enough calcium there hopefully to feed your crop and all that kind of thing. In the light ground, it's going to be a lot fewer parts per million. The heavy ground, it's going to be a lot more parts per million to Darren's point. Well, stay tuned. We'll talk a little about soil testing right after this. If one of your spring chores is getting the side dress bar back in shape, 360 Yield Center has a better idea. Hi, I'm Greg Souter, 360 Yield Center. Rather than throw more money into bearings and colders, replace him with 360 Y-Drops for your side dress bar. You'll never replace bearings again. You'll get faster, more efficient nitrogen response. In our tests, that gives a six bushel boost. Less maintenance, more corn from 360 Y-Drops. Take a second and listen. You 
hear that? That's the sound of your roots growing where they've never gone before. There are additional nutrients and water in your soil, hidden in tough-to-reach spaces. With MycoApply Endoprime, hyphae attach to the root hairs to reach small areas inaccessible to big roots, even some that are tied up in the soil. Applied in furrow at planting, MycoApply Endoprime uses four, four unique species of mycorrhizal fungi to go where roots can't. Unlock the potential of your corn crop with MycoApply Endoprime, and by nurturing your soil today, you're helping to ensure future harvest will be just as bountiful. For more information, talk to your local retailer or visit valent.com endoprime. Always read and follow label instructions. Fight today's resistant weeds and prevent those of tomorrow. University trials and grower use proves that adding tough IVC to the post-tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds, such as Palmer amaranth, water hemp, and kochia. Tough IVC is a selective, contact herbicide that synergizes with HPBD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough IVC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about pulling your own soil samples. And this is something that, that we do on our own farm, and we see a lot of farmers doing this. Now, you may say, ah, I'm a one-man show, and I've got to run the combine. I've got to run a strip-till machine. I've got to put on fertilizer. I've got to do all these things. I'm going to hire somebody else to do this. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do things. Everybody's in a different spot on their farms. But I think it's really important whether you're the guy actually putting the probe in the ground or not, they understand what these tests say. So and that you help put together that program of, well, how am I going to do this? Where am I going to pull samples from? So the data is valuable to you. So anyway, as we're going on today's discussion, we will take your calls and feedback at 844 44 ag phd and you can always email us radio at agphd.com we'll start off down in iowa though we've got doug with us right now doug how are you doing today hey wonderful sun shining winds blowing a little bit it's good how's planting coming in your part of iowa uh what's that <laughs> planting yeah <laughs> <laughs> is it really that tough uh uh yeah Oh, boy. There's nobody. I mean, I shouldn't say nobody. There's maybe a field here or there, but it's very rare. And they're talking three days of rain. So uh, I think everybody's just holding off. Yeah. It's it's crazy as we're traveling on. Brad and I were just talking about this earlier. And he's like, man, I can't believe it. How many guys are still saying they haven't been able to get out there? But it's just one of those years. It's uh, there's still some guys that are super, super dry. And then. An awful lot of guys that are that are too wet. Okay, talk to us about that soil a little bit more with soil tests. Uh, is this something you do yourself? Do you bring somebody else in to pull samples? How, how do you guys do it? Well, I used to do a lot of my own soil testing, um, but I have uh, since uh, left it to the experts, and they go out and GPS it, and they take samples, uh, you know, in a grid sampling method and uh i'm okay with that and then when we get the results me and the agronomist we will uh, discuss what we're seeing and and uh, set up a plan 
you know, I think that's good. When when you think about, well, we can work with experts and people smarter than us. That's always a great option. But being able to understand what they're talking about so you can contribute to the plan, I argue, is the most important key here. What do you think about soil tests? What, how do you feel your knowledge base is on that? Is that something that you're working to improve or you'd say, you know, I kind of got it pretty good? Well, I'm not a soil, I'm not a scientist and uh, I understand the soil types. I used to work in that field some. Um, the fertility part of it, I try to, you know, agronomy guys, uh, they kind of keep up on the latest, so they kind of keep me up to date. And so I'm aware of what they're talking about, and then we look at what we can afford to do, and we make it happen. Yeah, that's right. You're the one that has to write the big check in the end. And Brian started off the show talking about that. He's like, man, when we're writing those big checks, we just want to feel pretty confident where they're going. Are you confident this year going going into this season? I mean, we got a great chance to make money with just about everything we're doing on the farm if we do it right. Um, I'm extremely confident um, based on my soil test from last fall and the fertility program I've been doing for the last 15 years. Uh the fertilizer didn't didn't run very much this year. You know, when when uh, we look at our farm, we're doing some different things, and and this is one of the fun things for me about farming is that it's a little bit different every year, and we've got to adjust to, to how things go. We ended up using more manure as part of the program, but of course, manure's got a lot of what we need, not everything, so it, it does change up how we're gonna gonna do coming back. If uh, have, have you made you know, when you look at the nitrogen piece, that's probably the the worst one this year in terms of expense. Uh, are you changing yeah. anything with the end? Are you doing a split app approach, or how do you approach that one? Well, we, we used a lot of manure last fall, and uh, the nitrogen stayed exactly the same as I did last year. Um, I bit the bullet. I wasn't put buying P and K, so it's like just go with it and go on because – uh, I felt that was very important. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Locking in some of these costs is is important this year, so you kind of know where you're at. We're talking with Doug yeah. down in Iowa, and man, it's it's tough when you hear Iowa's not getting stuff planted. You know, conditions aren't ideal, Doug. Yeah. Hopefully, that sunshine keeps coming for you, and you guys can get out there soon. Oh, you know, well, farmers are eternal optimistic, so you know, we'll just keep going. You bet. Well, thanks, Doug. Really appreciate having you on. You bet. Nice talking to you. Let's head over to Michigan. We got Ned Berkey with Michigan State with us right now. Ned, how are you doing? Just fine, fellas. Um, we're not doing anything here, but the weather right now is sunny. Well, it's, that's exactly the report we got from Doug in Iowa. He said, man, there's maybe like three fields planted around, he said, and, and guys are just stuck because they got three more days of rain coming. And I, I don't know, we're actually, we can handle a little bit of rain. Brian wants a drought until June, but uh, we can we can actually <laughs> no, take not, a little not bit of rain. Not until June, till May, till May. We want to finish planting. <laughs> so I don't know. What do you, what do, you do, Ned? It, when we look at the fertility side of things, though, this year, when you look at where prices are, I'd say we probably had more interest this year from farmers about soil tests and just trying to dial in exactly what they need out there. What do you see with that? I, I know you've been working on this for a while. Uh, would you say there's a, a trend towards doing some more soil testing on fields? There should be definitely with the high price of fertilizer and soil testing is such an easy and cheap thing to do. 
just like sampling for soybean cyst nematodes, it's an easy thing to do, um, and more farmers need to do a better job of that. You know, in the 14 years I ran a soybean yield contest in Michigan, one of the questions I would ask the guys is, uh, did, did the contest field have a current soil test? And I didn't define what I meant by the word current, but the uh, top group obviously was about 100% at a current soil test. The bottom group, not surprisingly, 42% did not. Wow. So you say, well, maybe that's one reason they didn't do so well in soybean yields. Yeah, and that's on the contest field, which you would guess has a little bit better treatment than some of the other ground out there. So, you know, when you get questions yes, about sampling, what, why aren't guys doing it? And then for the guys that are, what questions are they asking? What do they want to understand a little better? Well, it is. Um, it does take a little time to plan it. I do my own soil sampling, so when I look at a field, I size up how many samples I'm going to pull and what pattern I'm going to walk through the field. I remember a couple of years ago, you had a fellow on and he wasn't getting a good yield in his 200 acre field, but he only had one sample. Right. And so obviously you've got to take more sampling and the more, the better and grid sampling has made that easier. And some of our local uh, commercial firms that do that, um, in my opinion, could do a little bit better job of, having a nice composite soil sample uh, to get a better result because you garbage in garbage out. Yeah. Yeah. We're making big dollar decisions based on that, that one piece of information or hopefully lots of pieces of information when it comes to variable rate fertilizer, it's been something big for our farm. I know it's helped us feel better about the dollars we're investing in the field. Do you see a lot of guys doing that? Yes. And uh, often, of course, we're fortunate in Michigan. We not only have a soil and nutrient testing lab for like soil samples, we also have a plant and pest diagnostic clinic. So we're a little unusual in the surrounding states here that we have both labs. So I'll often get guys that come in with a commercial soil test result and they want to compare it to what Michigan State would say. And surprisingly, Michigan State doesn't sell fertilizer, so their uh, nutrient recommendations are often lower and so we spend a lot of time going over now what's the difference and why and will you still get uh, good yields maybe not uh, record-breaking yields but good yields and so that's where we spend our time is in that comparison and analysis yeah, I just have to make, spend time with my brother making sure his yield goals are not uh, what we're basing our fertility program on. I want to shoot for, hey, what's a realistic yield here? Not, you know, I want 300 bushel everywhere. Boy, that'd be expensive to try to fertilize for if we got a ways to go. We're talking with Ned Berkey here, Michigan State. Uh, thanks a lot, Ned. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good spring. You bet. You too talking about pulling your own soil tests on today's Ag PhD program and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. 
Farmers everywhere are discovering the benefits of the Germinator closing system from Farm Shop MFG. Dick from Iowa says, In every case, our germination rate and stand was better than expected. When digging behind the planter, we always found the total destruction of the furrow sidewall and ideal seed-to-soil contact. See more farmer stories and order your germinators for spring delivery today at farmshopmfg.com. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. There are a lot of choices for closing systems in the market. 360 Wave has been topping them all in side-by-sides. More plants and ears, more bushels. They're in stock and ready to ship from 360. Most closing systems attempt to close from the top down. Wave closes from the bottom up, rolling moist soil over the seed, plus puts starter fertilizer in the sweet spot. There is still time to upgrade your closing system with 360 Wave. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Talking soil sampling on today's Ag PhD radio program. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Kentucky. we got Jed on with us right now. Jed, i got to start by asking this question. How's planting coming in your area? What are the fields looking like? Uh, planting, what's that? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about yet. Um, we got to run a day, but it's uh, been pretty wet down here um, so far. We... Uh, not a lot of not a lot of planters have rolled yet, and might get a window here today and uh, into Saturday, but then it looks like it'll be cut off again. So pretty bleak here. Yeah, it's getting to be the story as we travel around the country. That's that's no fun. All right, so let's talk about something different then. Let's talk about something more exciting, like your fertilizer budget this year. I'm sure uh, that one caught your attention like it did on our farm. We looked at our soil tests more than ever this year just trying to figure out, oh, where can we spend each dollar? How about you on your farm? What do you do on the soil testing front? Well, we actually – we. Uh we contract that out with an independent. Uh, there's some things that we can't uh, quite get to on the farm, and that's one of them. But, uh, you know, we have a trusted guy, and I think that's uh, the main thing in soil sampling is someone that trust, have trust in and that um, 
believes in what your farm's trying to accomplish, whether it's the farm on the back 40 that's, that may have been abused um, in past years and you're trying to build it, or it's the, your, your prime ground and you know your yield potential on it. So um, we got into soil, you know, we're grid sampling, of course, and uh, about 20% of our samples we do a full sample on with boron and magnesium and uh, calcium and iron in there with the tests. So uh, try to get a good example of our, what our field has to offer you know, when we look at those tests this year, we saw more nitrogen left in our fields from last year than we'd seen in a while. Uh, did you see anything that surprised you this year? Uh, we've seen some of that. You know, I think the, the the thing about it is after a soybean crop is seeing how the nitrogen breaks down and when the availability of the nitrogen is actually being able to, uh, what you're getting from the breakdown of it uh, from the soybean crop. And that's something that we're trying to uh get a better handle on because it also makes a big difference when you do the soil samples what those nitrogen levels may show yeah i i agree and we've uh talked a lot about how there really isn't a soybean nitrogen credit and we see too many guys just saying well let's just figure that it's 40 pounds or figure that it's 50 pounds or something and i'm a lot more confident when we go out and pull a sample we had anywhere from 135 pounds of nitrogen after a soybean crop to 35 pounds and mm-hmm. that, that extra hundred happened to be on some of Brian's ground. And he's like, man, that just saved me a hundred bucks an acre on corn fertility for this year. So that's worth doing. That paid for a lot of soil sampling. Well, yes, also, but you know, it's probably, you know, past sampling that y'all have done and, and keeping and, and other farms have done, keeping the the sampling going and doing it, you know, for multiple years that, that leads your crop in a, a good position for years like this when our inputs are higher. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, speak about your crop then this year. Are you switching anything up? Or are you going to plant more acres of beans? Or are you going to do something different? Or are you sticking with your normal rotation? The original plan a month ago was our original rotation. Um, the uh, the weather will dictate that more than the prices right now um, on our farm. Uh, of course, you've also got those contracted bushels or, or bushels that you, you sold when you thought were a good price. Um, so we will have to keep quite a bit of a corn in the rotation, but you know, the extended forecast for us was wet the next two weeks. So we're pushing the middle of May right now on our corn crop, which was normally planted the starting the first of April. So, um, it, uh, we, we may end up with more bean acres. Yeah. Hard to guess right now. I know I, I, don't even ask anybody in North Dakota right now what they're going to do with all the water they've got up there. Those decisions are a couple weeks out at least before you can do it. But, uh, Jed, we sure hope the sun comes out for you and uh, and things dry out again so guys can get rolling. Thanks for being on today. Really appreciate it. Well, everybody have a safe planting season. You bet. Yeah, that's that's the big thing is stay safe, especially with some of these tough field conditions out there in different parts of the country. Uh, all right, Brian, uh, Soil sample. You want to talk that a little bit more? You want to take more questions? Where are you at? Um, well, with the soil sampling, I would just say my uh, other than small grids or small zones. I I, I I mean that's my number one piece of advice always: small grids, small zones. So you have more samples. That way, you can pinpoint where your good areas are, bad areas, and you know know better how to fertilize. But other than that, it's running complete soil tests. We, Darren and I get soil tests in every single day, and it is shocking to me 
how often people are not running complete soil tests. So we'll see NPK. We might see pH with it. Sometimes we see cation exchange capacity and base saturation tests. A lot of times we do not see micronutrient levels or all the micronutrients. We might just have zinc or, you know, just copper or something like that. But we're missing stuff. And I'm just trying to say all these nutrients interact with each other. And so the more we can see the complete analysis and the pH, the base saturation, cation exchange capacity, all that stuff, the more it helps us to make good recommendations. So I, I just encourage you, get complete soil tests. Now, you don't have to soil test every year. On our farm, we do. I, I And part of it is the research side. So keep in mind, uh, I mean, a lot of people ask us, well, what do you guys do on your farm? Well, we go over the top for many of these things because of the work that we do here at Ag PhD. And we want to know, all right, how responsive are these different nutrients and how much are things changing each year and all that. So it's more than what you would need, in my opinion, on the average farm. But every two to four years, we would certainly encourage you poll soil tests. The more data you have, the smarter you're going to look, the the better decisions you can make. And it's just, like I was saying earlier in the show, so important when fertilizer is this expensive. All right. Other than that, in terms of the actual pulling of the soil cores, here's my other big piece of advice, because we see this done a lot of different ways. And here's the way I would suggest you do it. Okay. We want you to pick GPS points. I don't care if you're running zones or grids. It doesn't matter. You need to pick a GPS point within that grid or within that zone. Okay, And I don't care if you're working with somebody else who's doing your soil test. This is the way soil testing needs to be done, and I'll explain here more in a minute. But when you have that GPS point, you drive up to that point, and then we would encourage you get out of whatever vehicle you're in, pull two to three soil cores on each side of the vehicle. So four sides to a vehicle, that means eight to 12 cores. You dump it all in a sample bucket, dump it in the bag, and you go, you're done. The The lab can mix the soil up, or at least most labs will just talk to them, make sure you know, otherwise you may have to mix it up. But the one we work with, they mix it up, so it, it doesn't matter, we can be quick. Um, Okay, here's, oh, and when you're doing the soil sampling, two main things, if you're doing it by hand, and th- there's nothing wrong with that, I, we're, we are, we're great with it. If you want to use a manual or a hand soil probe, that's just fine. Anybody can do this. The two key things are make sure, number one, you have the probe straight up and down. That way you get a representative sample. And number two, you want to make sure you go to the same depth all the time. Because again, we just want a representative sample. So make a mark on your, we use a grinder and make a mark on ours, on our soil probe. Just make a mark in your soil probe, always go to that same depth. So you're, whatever you're pulling, 4 inch, 6 inch, 8 inch, 12 inch, whatever cores you're doing, it's always the same. You want to be consistent. Okay, now let's come back to why I want you going to a certain GPS point. Number one is repeatability. So if you want to go back to that same spot two years from now, 20 years from now, 200 years from now, you can. The next thing, and what's more important in my opinion than repeatability, is I want to match up my yield data with my soil test data. This is not that difficult to do, but if you don't have a GPS point, you cannot do this. So With that GPS point, we now know at that point what the soil test levels are. 
you also, from your yield monitor and your combine, will know what the yield is in that exact point. You start matching those up, and now all of a sudden you can create charts. That's what we did on our farm. And it it's showing us things like the, like the first year that we did this a few years ago. It was, it was pretty dramatic. Our highest yields all came from where our best potassium levels air, levels were at. So then I don't have to listen to any other expert. I don't have to be super smart, anything. I can see the chart, and it's basically telling me, hey, dummy, put more potassium on. Potassium pays. And I can literally run the numbers even to say how much could I afford on potassium based on my yield. So anyway, super important stuff. And we're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag next. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. 
We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about soil sampling. Surprise, surprise, but it's a huge deal on the farm. When you think about the budget that you're going to have, not just this year, but look at the next 10 years, how much you're going to invest in fertility on your farm. Then think about new farms that you pick up. How do you turn them around? How do you get them to be productive right away? Well, one of the best things you can do is pull good soil samples out there and get moving on building things up fertility-wise and and making uh, making up for any shortfalls that it's got. So we'll talk more about that uh, as we go on. I'm sure we get some more soils questions. Well, in fact, let's take this one first. This is from Bill, and he said uh, wants to ask a question about gypsum and the calcium-magnesium ratio. So he said, uh, went to the Ag PhD Soil Clinic, also went to Neil Kinsey's Soil Clinic that you hosted, and are working to correct some of our calcium to magnesium ratios in some fields. Now, lime in our area of southern Wisconsin has a lot of magnesium in it, so we've got some dolomitic lime over here. Our soil tests, just round numbers here from this fall after harvest, before fertilizer application, look like this. Our CEC is around 16. Our pH is low 6s, around 6.2 average. Organic matter, 4%. Our calcium's at 65, but our mag is at 30, and our potassium is at 4%. And uh, then he's got some parts per million here on some different things. But uh, so in a 16 CEC soil, well, uh, that's yeah. going to... It's going to create some stuff. Okay. So first of all, the lab isn't properly reporting what you got. And I can tell you that because if your soil pH is at 6.2, hydrogen should be about 11 or 12, something like that. Well, you just said 65, 34. Well, that's 99. So that leaves 1% for hydrogen. So I know it's wrong. So I, I would send a, send that in to somebody else. And, All right, so there's the yeah. soil test numbers. And yeah, so I, I know it's the, wrong. The Sorry. question is if we want to build calcium and take away magnesium. But I look at a couple I, of things. We've got to have good drainage if we're going to get magnesium percentage to go down. And we've got to use a lot of sulfur. We don't have hardly any sulfur in that ground. I could almost, let's see, I, yeah, I, I could maybe run the calculations. I, I, I don't have time right now. But anyway, I, all I know is your numbers are wrong. So uh, let's come, I'll tell you what, let's come back to this question during the next break, I'll I'll try to run the numbers here because he gave us parts per million on calcium, magnesium, potassium, and let's see. Yeah, I'll 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 hopefully be able to figure this out for you a little bit closer. But I know sixty-five and thirty is not correct. Okay, I've got a herbicide question. This one comes from Brad. You said. Uh here in the mid-Atlantic, uh, it's been a little cool. I'm wondering what's cool for you guys because my question is around using four ounces of Authority XL, four ounces of Metribuse, and a half pound of glyphosate and AIM. I've got six to ten inch tall resistant ragweed. Uh, how much AIM would it take to take out six to ten inch tall Roundup resistant ragweed if I've got uh, four ounces of Metribuse and four ounces of Authority XL going with that. Temperatures will be 60 degrees plus, and I plan to add MSO and other additives to make the tank mix work. All right. My first concern is as soon as I heard Authority XL, it was hard for me to listen to anything else because I just worry about the Authority XL. It's got lots of classic in there. So I hope you know how much classic that is. It's four times higher than I would even dream about using. So if you have a high pH spot, any high pH spot, your corn next year is dead. So I, I wouldn't use that. 
and the classic. What what weed was it you were trying to kill? Sorry. He has six to ten inch tall Roundup resistant ragweed. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway. Yeah. The classic. It might help you. You might luck out on on the ragweed. So. I, I, I can't say it's going to be good or anything, but, I mean, it, it might give you a little bit of help in the ragweed. But otherwise, yeah, it's the authority and the metribuzin are going to help the burn with this aim. So how much are you going to need? <laughs> Let's put it this way. When the temperature's that cold, and I, I do care about the daytime temp, but my concern is the nighttime temp. You don't have real active growth out there. If your nighttime temps are below 50 degrees, what we find with almost every herbicide is it just flat out doesn't work as well. Now, I'll also say with AIM, as a PPO, it's going to be a little bit like Gramoxone in that what we want is sun to go along with the heat. So if we're in the middle of the day, we've got great sunlight, then the the plant just seems to be more receptive, more actively growing. You seem to get we seem to get a little bit better control. So I guess that's kind of what I'm after. Um, in terms of how much aim you're going to have to throw in there to get it killed, let me also, let's see. You, so Darren, uh, sorry, I got to go back one more time. You said Metribuse and Authority XL, aim, and I assume he's throwing crop oil with it, or what's he throwing yep. with it? Yep. Yeah, okay. He said he'll put MSO and whatever other surfactants. He just wants to know how much aim to run in that mix. Yeah, yep, okay. So I was just going to pull up the label just so I could uh, tell you, oh, this is full, because I don't even honestly know what full labeled rate is. Most guys are running one ounce, but um, let's see. So for pre-plant burn down, I just, yeah, I was just curious what what the maximum labeled rate was, since we don't talk about that real often, because quite frankly, we don't get this question real often. A lot of people are throwing other things in. And then they're not that worried about. So, for example, on our farm, if I'm in the exact same situation, I'm not worried about what rate of aim I can run. I'm throwing 2,4-D in there instead because we're raising enlist beans. We got a lot of people who will throw dicamba in in front of their extend beans. And quite frankly, between the 2,4-D and the dicamba, that takes care of about 90% of the beans that are in our region or 95. All right. So pre-plant burn down. Maximum labeled rate is one and a half ounces. Okay, so I, I guess the, all I was getting at here is normally people run one ounce. If it's me, and especially with your colder temps, I'm running an ounce and a half, and I'm going to hope for the best. All right. Uh, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, okay, here's a tough question, though, Brian. This comes from Brannigan down in southwestern Nebraska. Said, guys, recently we had fires go through 80,000 acres of fields and pastures. The fields were left completely barren with little to no stalks left in the field. Dirt and ash have been blowing all over the country. A lot of the fields that were burnt had already applied dry fertilizer, and a few of them had been sprayed with liquid fertilizer and herbicide. And unfortunately, we've had little to no rain to incorporate them. I was wondering if you had any advice for growers in our area on what they should do. I was also wondering, are there any benefits to the fire that we might see later on? Okay, number one benefit is the residue is gone and you will have warmer soil and faster emergence. Well, and in the pasture, by burning off all the dead grass from last year, you should green up pretty nice and, mm -hmm. and you should have a, a good crop getting started off of grass in the pasture area. But uh, that's a big price to pay for it, though. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it, in terms of 
the because I assume where we're going with this question is is my dry fertilizer is some of that still there is my liquid fertilizer is some of that still there I don't know for sure I really don't I I will tell you this we talked we we do have statistics on burning residue and how much how of the nutrients basically go up in the air and what the studies have shown, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, I will tell you it's most of the nitrogen, uh, but it's only about, let's call it 35% roughly of the P and the K. Now, does that hold true if it's in this dry fertilizer form or liquid fertilizer form? Boy, I I don't know. I I, I, I have no studies yeah, to reference on that. I, I, I don't have a great answer for you. I, I would say I'm not optimistic that all that fertilizer is still there, I'm unfortunately thinking that a lot of that fertilizer is gone. Yeah, I think so too. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about your herbicide and fertilizer that that a lot of that went up in smoke. Right. And yeah, it just stinks because if you would have had a couple inches of rain, of course, if you had a couple inches of rain, you wouldn't have had the fire potentially. But I mean, if you would have had a couple inches of rain, then the fertilizer for the most part would have gone, would have dissolved, gone down into the ground at least far enough. So it would be somewhat protected from that fire. But anyway, yeah, I think it's an unfortunate thing and I'm afraid you lost most of the fertilizer. Uh, it's a tough situation, Brian. Again, we, our prayers go out to everybody in that area. That's that's a tough situation. Uh, speaking about herbicide, Robert sent in a couple comments. He said, back in the day when you, we used Treflan, we ran the disc twice. It went four inches deep, and it worked great. Our only challenge was spraying herbicide on and having piles of residue that would soak it up. Hey, thanks for the comments, Robert. We really appreciate that. We'll be right back after this. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. Ahem. It's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment. Investment. Great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct Next-Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. 
Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Here at Farm Shop MFG, we keep hearing from folks who've tried our germinators. Deverne in Missouri says, After seeing our harvest results, I'm an enthusiastic supporter of the Farm Shop MFG germinator closing wheel. See what others are saying at farmshopmfg.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. We've been talking about pulling your own soil tests, but we are also taking your calls and questions. If you've got a question for us, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right. In our last segment, we got a question from Bill from Wisconsin talking about his soil tests. And what he said is, oh, I've got calcium of 65%, magnesium 30 potassium 4%, and my cation exchange capacity is 16, my soil pH is 6.2. And I said, well, those numbers aren't right. Because uh, already you got 99% there, and at a 6.2 pH, you should have about 10, 11 or 12 on a hydrogen score in your base saturation percentage. Unfortunately, some labs represent base saturation without putting hydrogen in there. And so because they do it that way, then they're saying, oh, well, these four numbers add up to 100. Well, that's not how we do it. We do all five numbers, and the standard in the industry is all five numbers, including hydrogen. So when we're we're talking, and I'm not saying you can't use what they they sent or what they what they had for a result, but I'm just saying it's not going to correlate to what we talk about for percentages. So I ran the math real quick. It, we put together a calculator a few years ago for one of our Ag PhD soils clinics. And so it, anybody can, if you give me the figures, I can punch it in. So I just put in what you had for parts per million because thankfully you sent me the parts per million numbers. The only number you didn't give me was sodium, and I just estimated that because, well, anyway, the point here is when I ran the math, it's about 59% calcium and 26% magnesium and and 3.4% potassium. So that sounds much more like it. So if it's me on that ground and I say, hey, I'm concerned about this magnesium calcium or calcium magnesium ratio, I'm going to first tell you, <laughs> my priority on our farm is number one, soil pH. At a 6.2, I'm not adjusting your pH. Number two is I'm going to start looking at NPK. And then I'm going to go to the, the secondary nutrients. Then I'm going to go to the micronutrients. The very last thing I'm like super concerned about is magnesium along with the calcium. So I'm just trying to tell you here, I'd fix everything else on my farm and then I'd worry a lot about the calcium magnesium ratio. But that said, your potassium's low. 
and you get you got 210 parts per million, which isn't terrible, but you're only at 3.4% base saturation K. So I'd put a little more K out there. And if you want to use some gypsum, that's perfectly fine because I'm going to assume in a 16 CEC soil, it's not holding your sulfur very well, as evidenced by what you sent us is you only had five parts per million of sulfur. So if you use some gypsum every year, that's a real good way to get the sulfur and then you're putting on a little bit more calcium, bumping your calcium number because it is a little low. It's 59%. We'd like to see that 65 or more. Magnesium's a little high, 26. We'd like to see that down to 20% or, or even less. So it, it's not terrible, though. You can raise a good crop with this, with that calcium and magnesium that you have in your soil. You can raise a good crop. That's what I'm trying to tell you here. Just look at all your other nutrients. Look at everything else you got to do. So don't neglect the secondary nutrients, the micronutrients, and obviously make sure you have enough NPK. All right, Brian, got a pile of soil tests. We asked for tests, we get tests. This, these come from Mark over in Wisconsin. He said, got some really variable ground here, got some low CECs, got some higher CECs in other areas, uh, got magnesium in some areas that's really high, like in the mid to upper 20s, got some that's really low, as low as 6%. Uh, what what are your thoughts on these samples? Okay, well, you just looked at all these and you made well, some I got notes. Through, so. I got through a few of them. Well, oh. I had through a few of them. Well, I didn't here. get through all of them. First of all, they put the base saturation on the back of the page. And I was commenting to Brian. I said, man, I think that sometimes we, we look at these tests and you say, oh, man, it's so inconvenient and you can't find all the numbers that you want that I don't even want to do tests. But uh, this one... It's on a whole separate page with the base saturation. So the calcium is in the low to mid-60s, but the mag is in the upper 20s. Uh, potassium in the 4 to 7% range. So we see where we want to focus. It's not on potassium. We're, we're doing okay there. And we have some calcium, but you could raise it a little bit more if you want to. Um, but I look at the lime recommendation when you have a pH some parts of the field, 7, others 5.8 to 6.2. I don't think I'm spending the money on lime. I think I'm worried about other things more than that. For sure. But the biggest thing that, I, as I look at this here, when the cation exchange capacity is in the 2 to 6 range, that means we're dealing with pure sand. It's going to hold almost no nutrients other than, obviously, phosphorus, zinc, copper. It'll hold those fairly well. But as I say that, I don't even have copper on the test, so that's one of the things that I would like to know. But even potassium in a soil like that, if you're getting a fair amount of rain, it's going to be somewhat leachable. So we have to be thinking about every year, every single year, we got to be putting fertility out. And with the the things that are real leachable. Yeah, like boron, sulfur, there's none of it nit- left. Right, no, nor should there be. So nitrate, sulfate, boron, I mean, they're leachable, very leachable. And and again, even potassium in this this kind of soil is going to be somewhat leachable. So mid-season, I'm, I might be putting some more potassium on. And for the nitrogen, sulfur, and boron, I hate to say it, but I'm probably putting those things on four or five, six times. So is is this irrigated? I don't have any comment about that. I okay. have no idea. Yeah. If it's irrigated, well, I mean, then that makes it pretty easy. You can throw some nutrients on every single time you go across with the pivot. But if it's not, then you got to be doing a lot of praying for rain. I, I'd say that number one in the sand. But, yeah, I, I mean, it looks to us like you need just about everything here. So we're, we would 
we would tell you to with the base saturation thing. When we talk about that a lot on the show, it gets a little misleading when when you see, oh, I got 4% base saturation K. I'm good. That's what the guys talk about all the time. Yes, we do in heavy soils. In, in pure sand like this, you got to have the 4% base saturation K, but you also have to have a certain amount of parts per million. And the reason why that is, light soil won't hold much of anything. So it's not going to hold a lot of calcium or magnesium and all these other nutrients that are in that base saturation. So your ratio of potassium is going to look pretty good. But the problem is you don't have enough potassium there to raise a decent crop. So you've got to be adding potassium every single year. It's just a little different than the heavy soils that we typically deal with here in the Western Corn Belt. Yep, no doubt about that. If you got more specific questions on any of those uh, soil tests, Mark, just let us know, and we'd be happy to answer them. Uh, Brent, get a little feedback. This is from Tyler over in Illinois. He said, guys asked about um, resistant alfalfa weevils where pyrethroids weren't working. <laughs> Did some further investigation and found out, just like you guessed, uh, the grower had sprayed too low a rate. He'd, he'd used a, a low rate of a pyrethroid, and when it didn't work, he went back with a low rate of a different pyrethroid, and he used 20 gallons of water both times as okay. the carrier. Do you think the 20 gallons is the problem or the rate of insecticide? Okay, so I, you don't have to use 20 gallons when you're spraying the pyrethroids. It's going to do a good job on the alfalfa weevil larvae. If you want to use 10 or 15, you're usually fine. Is 20 gallons going to hurt? No, it's not going to hurt. It just... There will be a little more that ends up on the soil surface rather than on the on the plants, but it, it's no real big deal. So that wasn't the culprit. The problem was the half rate was used twice. And, I, I mean, we've said this for years. It's like pyrethroids are so cheap. By cutting the rate in half, the guy saved a dollar. A dollar. Then he had to go spray again. Now he's going to spray a different. And and I, I saw the the email come through. Now he wants to spray another product that costs ten bucks. It's like, oh my goodness, we wasted two application fees. We wasted uh, a second shot of the pyrethroid. Well, I guess really not because it that all should have gone in one shot rather than two. And now we're going to spend ten dollars to kill alfalfa weevil larvae that I can. I mean, I can kill with no problem with a $2 pyrethroid. I don't see it. But, I mean, this is just a good lesson. There are certain bugs, there are certain weeds, there are certain diseases. You have to run the full rate. And with alfalfa weevil larvae, that's the case. There were guys that used to cheat the rate a little bit, and they'd run about an 80% rate, and they would do okay. But even that, it's like, why Why are we doing that? We're just, you're going to save a dollar, a dollar. So just make sure next time you use the full rate. And there's no point in wasting your money on these $10 treatments. Just go out there with the full rate of a cheap pyrethroid. It's going to work just fine. I've never in my entire life seen it not work just fine. But you got to use the right rate. All right. Thanks for the follow-up. We appreciate that, Tyler. And, yeah, for everybody out there as, as we get going this season, don't cut rates. We got a great opportunity to make money. We just got to make sure weeds, insects, and diseases well, hey, you can cut don't. rates on certain things. Sometimes we'll tell you, hey, you can use a lower rate, but on that one in particular, you can't. Well, thanks for listening to our show today, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.